Hi, this is Lyndon Wall of Refresh Ministries. We provide soul care to ministry leaders. You are listening to a 31-day devotional series called Refresh. I published it specifically for pastors, missionaries, and ministry workers whose souls have been parched by the stresses and tests of life. Stress is a reality of life. It can harm and drain us of vital energy, and it must be responded to wisely. This devotional series was written to help you encounter Jesus Christ, the great refresher of your soul. It will give you insights that will help you live with a renewed and joyful heart. For more information about Refresh Ministries, go to refreshministries.org. And now, listen to Refresh, narrated by my friend Mike Ferrier of Peace Country VoiceOver. Refresh, a devotional book by Lyndon Wall. 31 Days to Refresh Your Soul with the Spring of Living Water. Refresh, a distant promise. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 7, verse 37 and 38. This is one of the most enticing promises of scripture. Perhaps like me, you long to be refreshed in your inner being. I crave the ongoing refreshment of the Holy Spirit washing over my own soul with peace, contentment, and joy. Not only do I desire that myself, I desire for an overflow in my heart that would spill into the lives of others so that they too could taste refreshing waters of the promised Spirit. Yet for too many years, this promise has been like a mirage in the desert, and I have been like a desperate traveler, never quite reaching the promised oasis. I find myself wondering, is this promise just a mirage? Or is a refresh of heart a real experience for those who have received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus? My training in scripture told me it was real. The experiences of others I read about told me that God did mean what he said in the Bible. The conviction about the truth of the promise set me on a quest. I had to find my way to the oasis. My own survival depended on it. My soul was burdened and weary. I was coming to the end of my resolve to keep up my appearance of a happy Christian when in reality my heart was parched with a desperate thirst. I was serving as a pastor of a church, yet I was burned out. I needed answers. I was heartened in my quest by a reading of others who had been lost in the desert, yet had found their way to a joyful, refreshed heart. They found a heart out of which rivers of living water flowed. Join me as I share with you lessons from my journey to the oasis of the soul, the place where hearts are refreshed and thirst quenched. My hope is that the following readings will spur you to encounter Jesus, the great refresher. The first section of the book opens our mind to the great invitation we have to find refreshment. The second section reminds us of what we must surrender to enjoy a refreshed heart. The third section reveals refreshing truths about our Lord that build our trust in Him. The fourth part calls us to make choices that lead to refreshment. With each devotional, I have provided a prayer starter that will be a catalyst for you to linger in the presence of the Great Refresher. Chapter 1 Invitations one of my earliest mission experiences involved service in the country of Ethiopia. I served with a team that provided food for those affected by famine. It was demanding work both physically and emotionally. One day an event occurred that picked up my spirits. 
in the midst of the daily demands of famine relief, a letter came. The ambassador of my home country was inviting me to a party. It was exciting to receive an invitation from someone in such a lofty position. What struck me as significant that day was the contrast between where I was living and where I had been invited to go. The living conditions at my place of service included sleeping on a simple cot in a grass-roofed hut. My clothes were soiled with African dirt. My body had been assaulted by malaria and tropical parasites. Yet, despite these conditions, I was invited to a party at the posh residence of our country's most senior official. The thought of it all lifted my spirit. Invitations can do that. As you read the first section of this devotional, the condition of our soul may resemble my physical condition in the Ethiopian bush. Perhaps your soul is soiled, exhausted, and ravaged by the testing of life. I want you to know that the most senior official of the universe has sent you invitations that can lift your soul. These invitations are recorded in scripture. Some of them are obvious, some are more subtle, but they are there. I offer a few of them to remind you that you have been invited to encounter the great refresher of the soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. Day 1. Accept the Invitation Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, verse 28. It is wonderful to receive an invitation. An invitation means that we were considered special in some way by the person who invites us. It means that the person inviting us has a blessing to give. Jesus has a blessing in mind for you, the blessing of rest. He offers a heart that is freed from the anxieties of life, the pressure to perform, the fears that haunt us, the burdens that weigh us down and steal our joy. What do you do with your tired soul? Where do you run to find rest? Or should I say, where do you stagger and stumble to to find refreshment? Sometimes the legs of our souls can hardly carry us to the oasis that we seek. Elijah, exhausted from his fight for righteousness and fear for his life, fell in the wilderness, too exhausted to go on. He wished his life were over. All around you are tired souls. You can see it in their eyes, the weariness, the lost hope, the absence of purpose, and sapped energy. Some have become weary by doing right in the face of evil. We all have been burdened by our sin and need it lifted from us. The sins others have committed against us weigh us down. Some have become weary because of the relentless demands of life. Others are exhausted from unrealistic expectations that spring up from within themselves or from others. Still others are weary because they are working so hard to do God's work for Him. That work may be building their personal holiness, or it may be building His church. Both are exhausting if attempted in one's own resources. Let me ask, are you weary? If so, why? Whatever the cause of your weariness, I want you to know that you have mail. An invitation from Jesus awaits. It is an invitation to a rested heart. Reach out and take it. Your life will never be the same. No one encounters Jesus and remains the same. Here's your prayer starter. Lord Jesus, Thank you for inviting me to the place of rest. Day 2. Looking for thirsty people. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. John 7, verse 37. 
Jesus spoke these wonderful words on the last day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. In these words, Jesus points to the way of a refreshed heart. He shows us that he himself is the way. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Jesus had been teaching in the temple courts for several days. The crowds of people had been drinking in his words. He saw their parched hearts, their thirsty souls, the longing in their eyes to be refreshed, to be joyful again. The staleness of formalized religion had left them searching for a new reality of God. In the depths of their hearts, they knew God was more than what they were experiencing. So they came to the feast. Some, no doubt, came out of duty. Others, thirsting and hoping for more. It's to these thirsty ones that Jesus offers an invitation. An invitation to come to him, to drink and be satisfied. What about Jesus is so refreshing? How can he make such a promise? It seems arrogant and unrealistic. The answer is simple. He is God. He sends refreshing rain to water the earth. He creates the cool of the evening to soothe the heat-parched world. As he refreshes the earth, so he refreshes our hearts. He created our hearts in the first place, and he knows what restores us. He is the God who has the power to quench thirst. His refreshment begins with forgiveness. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. If you trust him to forgive your sin and be your savior, your sin is taken away. Jesus will place his refreshing spirit in you and begin to satisfy the thirst of your heart. I urge you to seek him. Many people will go anywhere but to Jesus to satisfy their thirsty souls. The reason for this are varied. Sometimes we simply don't believe Jesus can refresh us. Sometimes we are determined to live independently of God, to make it on our own, to prove to God that we are God's ourselves. Whatever our reasons in the past, Jesus' invitation still stands. He still says today, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, please teach my heart that you are the thirst quencher. Day 3. A Refreshing Shower He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. Psalm 72, verse 6. These words written for the King of Israel find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Fresh-cut grass releases a unique fragrance. Mixed with this fragrance is the aroma of refreshing showers of rain. The dust is washed away. Flowers are cleansed and plants refreshed. Renewal, cleansing, and life all come from showers of rain. Our Lord is like refreshing rain showers. He cleanses, sweetens, and brings life. Jesus used water to minister refreshment during his time on earth. It was the custom in our Lord's time for a host to wash the feet of his guests. The accumulated dust from a day of walking on dirt roads needed to be cleansed away. Our Lord took up the towel and basin and cleansed and refreshed his disciples in this way. In our time, we enjoy a refreshing shower or bath that washes away the grime and sweat of a day's work. A shower does for us what the rain does for the earth. Jesus not only washed his disciples' feet, he also cleanses us from the grime and dust of sinful patterns. The scripture says, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 
When the dust from a day of life settles on our soul, Jesus offers us his basin and a towel. Interactions with other people, the frustrations, mistakes, misspoken words, impure thoughts, and attitudes need to be washed away. Jesus stoops to wash us and gently cleanses our hearts. The rain cleanses, but it also refreshes. There is new moisture for growth and renewal. In Israel, the Negev Desert will occasionally experience downpours of rain. These refreshing showers turn the parched wilderness into green beauty overnight. So too the refreshing presence of Christ renews us and encourages us to grow and go on. He gives us new encouragement, new incentive to move ahead in our faith, new perspectives that give hope to our weariness. Here's your prayer starter. Let us pray with the psalmist in Psalm 126 verse 4. Restore, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Cleanse and wash my dusty soul. Pour your fragrance over me. Day 4. The Soul Restorer. He restores my soul. Psalm 23 verse 3. It is a wonderful experience to have a restored soul. It is difficult to live with a soul that needs restoring. King David learned that one of the Lord's ministries was soul restoration. The work of repairing and renewing our inner person is one of the Lord's specialties. He ministers to us by taking what has been tarnished and ravaged by time or events and making it new again. Jesus takes us from being broken down to the place of restoration. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus proved he had the power of restoration. He restored the man's withered hand in the synagogue of Capernaum in Mark 3 verses 1 to 6. He restored 10 lepers with a word in Luke 17 verses 11 to 18. His power went out to the bleeding woman and she was made well. Mark 5 verse 24 to 34. Jesus not only restored broken bodies, he also brought wholeness to broken souls. Many things break our souls. Sin breaks us down. The woman caught in adultery was broken and humiliated. As she faced her sin in the public forum, facing possible death, Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. John 18.11 She was restored with his compassion and love. She went home free from condemnation. As sin breaks down your soul, so does failure. The woman at the well was a failure at relationships. You have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. John 4 verse 18. Jesus offered her living water. She recognized who Jesus is and her need to turn from her sin. Her soul was restored. This wholeness from her encounter with Jesus opened the way for her to become a prime influencer in her community. This woman, along with others mentioned in today's meditation, could testify, He restored my soul. He took what was broken and made it whole. He took what was sick and made it well. He took what was hopeless and gave a miracle. We must remember Jesus' restoration work is very personal. He restores my soul wrote David. We often see the Lord restore the souls of others, but consider our case beyond his powers of restoration. David found God able in his very real life of brokenness. Is your soul a restoration project? Put the carpenter from Nazareth in charge of the work, 
Invite him to bring wholeness to your diminished soul. Here's your prayer starter. Lord Jesus, renew what has been tattered by sin and failure. Chapter 2. Surrender. To place yourself into the Lord's care and keeping may not always come easily to you. To yield to his will in wisdom is also often a test of faith. But this is exactly what Jesus calls you to do. However, as you struggle with giving yourself completely to Christ, don't forget that surrender is a gateway to a rested heart. When we realize that the one calling us to yield to him is the Lord of the universe, for whom nothing is too hard, we can rest in his power. When we understand that he is the Lord Jesus who proved his love for us by dying on the cross for our sin, we can be assured he will exercise his power in loving ways. We must remember it is the Lord of power and love who calls us to yield to him. I encourage you to open the gate of surrender and find a more rested heart. Day 5. Letting Go Not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22, verse 43 What is most dear to you? What is most important to you? What do you live for? What would you die for? If you could describe your life as a success, what would it be like? The reason I ask is that the greatest stresses in our lives are often caused by threats to what we hold most dear. When what we live for is at risk, it is nearly impossible to have a rested heart. Jesus models what to do when what we hold dear is threatened. He surrendered his life into the care of his Father. He was in anguish, sweating great drops of blood, knowing that his life would soon be taken and the sin of the world would be put upon him. Yet he prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. After Jesus surrendered his will, he was able to move with strength and grace to the accomplishment of his purpose. He was able to handle the physical and verbal attacks with grace and dignity. He was able to minister to the thief on the cross. He was able to fulfill his commitment to his mother, Mary. The grace and strength he displayed was one in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. Is something causing you great worry or stress? Perhaps God is calling you to surrender. Surrender means to release yourself into the care and control of another. Surrender what is dear to you into the care of Christ. Surrender and move forward with grace and strength. His love was proved at the cross. Who better to look after what is dear to you than someone who has demonstrated his love by dying for you? Here's your prayer starter. Lord Jesus, thank you that your love for me was proved at the cross. Help me surrender what is most precious to me into your care. Day 6. Leaky Cisterns My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 The people of Israel stood accused before the Lord. They were guilty of two offenses. First, they had forsaken the Lord. He who had promised them refreshed spirits throughout their lives had been forgotten. God was the fountain of living water that continually flowed for his people, but they had abandoned him. 
Their second sin consisted of making and seeking other sources of satisfaction for their spiritual thirst. They had gone after other gods, the gods of their neighbors. The worthless idol of Baal had become their thirst quencher. Unfortunately, Baal's water did not quench thirst. It is a simple but profound truth. Jesus is the oasis, the spring of living water. Yet we can spend our lives drinking from and repairing leaky cisterns which hold no water. We seek to satisfy our spiritual thirst with other gods. Many of these cisterns are well-intentioned and even respectable in the sight of others. Some are subtle and lie in the depths of our hearts, unseen or perceived, until the Lord brings them to light. A family has had a busy week. On Friday night, they want to relax and decide to watch a video. Clean entertainment is hard to find. So they compromise and feast their minds on scenes and words that will harm their souls. Their relief from their stress lasts as long as the video. But when it ends, their soul still thirsts. A teacher loves to teach. It is a joy for him to expound God's word to his students. Yet after a time, he seeks soul satisfaction from the thrill of teaching rather than from the Lord Jesus about whom he is teaching. After a time, he realizes that the cistern of teaching leaks and does not continually renew him. A mother seeks to nourish her soul from the lives of her children. Her children are her life. She lives for them and would die for them. She is the ultimate mother, the envy of the other mothers. Yet, as commendable as her devotion to her children is, she still finds that there is something missing. At the core of her being, she is thirsty. It's a thirst for the eternal that only the spring of living water can supply. Her diligently maintained cistern of family continually springs leaks, and the satisfying waters drain away. Have you forsaken the Lord for cisterns that hold no water? Have you let noble endeavors turn into worthless idols? Does your soul thirst despite a life of outward success? Return to the fountain of living waters and take a big drink. Surrender your leaky cisterns for a drink at the ever-fresh fountain of Christ. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, stir my heart to believe that you are the fountain of living water. I surrender the leaky cistern back to you. Day 7. Approval Addiction We were not looking for praise from men. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. Cravings strike us all from time to time. Common wisdom reports that pregnant ladies send their bewildered husbands out for pickles and ice cream at the midnight hour. They have a craving that needs to be satisfied. Some people crave chocolate, others coffee. One lady who moved to another country for a time found herself with great cravings for peaches and cottage cheese. These items were simply not available where she was living. Nearly every person has another craving, the craving for praise. We love to hear good things said about us. We all appreciate words of encouragement. The Bible is very clear that we are to encourage one another. This is the responsibility of believers to their brothers and sisters in Christ. However, it is not the responsibility of a believer to seek this praise from others. In fact, there is a snare that lies hidden in our craving for praise. If we live our lives seeking the praise of people, we will become enslaved to their approval. We will be living with as many bosses over our lives as people from whom we desire to praise. 
It's a horrible way to live. It's a life of enslavement. The Apostle Paul reminds us that there is a day when our craving for praise will be legitimately satisfied. It will come at the judgment seat of Christ, where we will receive our praise from God. Then our craving can be truly fulfilled. In fact, living for praise on that day releases us from the tyranny of seeking the praise of people in this life. Our craving for praise is not wrong, but we seek to satisfy it at the wrong time and place. Step into the freedom of seeking one master's praise. Surrender your desire for the praise of people. Live for the audience of one. Make your one master the loving Lord Jesus Christ. Let his praise be your guiding passion. And enjoy the rest he brings to your soul. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, grant me the freedom that comes from a heart that seeks your praise alone. Day 8. Successful, but sad. He went away very sad. Matthew 19, verse 22. Sometimes we ask questions to which we don't want to hear the answers. Such was the case with this wealthy young man in Matthew 19. He was a man who had lived well. He had been financially successful. He appears to also have lived morally. Yet, despite his best efforts... He had a troubling sense that he hadn't done enough. So, looking for a little more assurance, he asks Jesus, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Here the unwanted answer came. If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Matthew 19 verse 21 Jesus' answer set the man back on his heels. He had just wanted a little confirmation of his goodness and an easy assurance of heaven, but Jesus called him to do what would have been the last of his natural inclinations, sell and surrender. Jesus hit on the very gods of this man's heart. The God of wealth and the God of self became the targets of Jesus' answer. He knew what the rich young man held dearest. He knew what stood between the man and his eternal security. What we hold dearest often becomes a blockage that keeps us from enjoying the gifts of God. One gift we often miss is that of a restored heart. It may be the things that make us successful, or our most precious relationships that we cannot surrender to the care of God. Yet it is in these things that have the greatest grip on our hearts that keep us from enjoying the peace of God. Jesus' call to us is the same as his call to the wealthy man. He invites us to surrender what is most precious in order to receive a much greater gift. What is most precious to you? Have you surrendered it to the care of Christ? Or is it a roadblock to the blessing God wants to bring into your life? Here's your prayer starter. Lord Jesus, open my eyes to see the blessings of surrender. Day 9. Resentment But you, O Sovereign Lord, deal with me, for your namesake, out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. Psalm 109, verse 21. Resentment is one of the ugliest emotions a Christian can experience. In this psalm, David is in resentment's grip and wants revenge. His kindness has been spurned, his love unreturned. Instead, those he has loved have stabbed him in the back. They are spreading lies about him, accusing him falsely and speaking hate. 
David is wounded. He is suffering. He is wasting away. The pain steals not only his happiness, but even his health. The emotions well up inside David. He wants those who have hurt him to be hurt in the same measure, plus a little more. He calls on God to withdraw every blessing from his enemy and add every curse. He wants his enemy dead. One of the greatest stresses in missionary life is the conflicts we have with fellow missionaries. How well David reflects our feelings of resentment in such situations. We want those who wound us to be wounded in return. We want justice and a little more. Pain for pain, hurt for hurt, wound for wound, justice must be done. Yet in the midst of our anger, we know that resentment is harmful to us. It has been said, resentment is a cup of poison you pour for your enemies and drink yourself. It is dangerous to sip and savor resentment, for it poisons our own soul. It steals our joy and makes us captive to our enemy and robs us of blessings God would have for us. How then do we respond to people who have wounded us? David gives us some clues. First, take up your complaint with God, express it clearly and passionately. Second, don't take justice into your own hand. In the turmoil of his resentment, David turns to God. He does not take vengeance into his own hands. He pours out his heart to the God he knows is just and does justice. He surrenders his resentment to God. Resentment is to turn our attackers over to God. Let us remember the example of Jesus who forgave his attackers. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, I release those who have wounded me into your hand. I relinquish my desire to hurt them for the hurt they brought me. Day 10. The Sins of Others I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Lamentations 3, verse 24. Jeremiah walked faithfully with God. When others turned their back on God, Jeremiah embraced him. When others closed their ears to the voice of God, he listened. He was faithful when persecuted, true when tested. He was embarrassed and humiliated by those who opposed the ways of God, yet he remained steadfast. Though he grieved deeply for the sin of his people, he was unshaken in his commitment to follow the Lord, yet he suffered. He suffered because of the sin of others. He was with his people as they fell under the wrath of God. As best we know, Jeremiah was taken away into Egypt with his people. His life ended in exile, a captive there. What then was Jeremiah to do? How could he keep his soul intact when he suffered innocently, when he received the consequences for others' sin? Jeremiah went to a deeper well, a more sufficient provision for his soul. He went to the Lord. He found the satisfaction for his soul hunger in God, not in his circumstances. Andrew Murray once wrote of our Lord, You are the vine, I am the branch. It is enough. My soul is satisfied. We find joy in many things in this life. God gives them to us freely to enjoy, yet there are monuments when the external joys are removed and only the eternal remain. In these difficult moments, are we left without a satisfied heart? Jeremiah would answer no. He would tell us that there is one who can still satiate the hungry heart, 
He would say, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. 1. What sins of other people have derailed you from the life you would have preferred? 2. In what ways have these sins directed you to greater discoveries of God? 3. Are there sins of others that you need to entrust to God's care today? Here's your prayer starter. Thank you that your sufficiency does not depend on the righteous acts of others. Day 11. Results. I have labored to no purpose. Isaiah 49 verse 4. It is common for God's servants to feel their faithful service has been in vain. Our best intentions and efforts do not always bring the best results. Think for a moment about the ministry of Christ. Even his service seemed in vain. Despite his dynamic ministry of healing, raising the dead, casting out demons, preaching with power, and pouring his life into the twelve disciples, the nation of Israel appeared unchanged at the time of his death. The evil motives of the powerful still ruled the nation. The masses still looked for a political savior rather than a savior from sin. The twelve disciples had scattered. One of the twelve had committed suicide due to his heinous betrayal. At the time of the crucifixion, all evidence pointed to failure. It appeared that Jesus had worked for no purpose. Great ministry does not always yield great results. Isaiah's words give us another insight for when our work appears futile. He surrendered the results of his labor into God's care. Isaiah 49 verse 4 continues with these words, Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. He did not allow the apparent futility of his work to cloud his perspective. He left the reward for his work in the hands of God the Father, not the people. He did not base the assessment of his work on the response of the moment. He sought to be faithful and surrendered the matter of results into his heavenly Father's care. Are you discouraged with your work? Does it seem futile and ineffective? Yes, there may be wise adjustments to make to your ministry strategies, but guard your heart. Don't let temporal circumstances be the final arbiter of your ministry. Is it not wise to let the one who sees the end from the beginning be the judge of your work? Is it not wise to entrust your work into the hand of him who works out his purposes, not only through days, weeks, and years, but also through generations? Surrender the results of your work into the care of the one who has the long-range view. Surrender your reward to him who knows your heart, your motives, and your faithfulness. He is the best judge of your work and will reward you accordingly. Prayer Starter Lord, thank you that what is due me is in your hand. Day 12 Pride God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 We have all had moments in our lives when, if we didn't know any better, it would seem that God was against us. Maybe He was. Not in the sense of being unloving, but in the sense of opposing actions or attitudes that would ultimately be harmful to us. If there is anything God comes out against, it's pride. The Apostle Peter wrote these words to young men prone to throwing off the wisdom and guidance of their elders. He also adds words for all Christians. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. What was the reason for this instruction? 
God opposes the proud. Pastor Roger Barrier wrote in his book, Hearing the Voice of God, of how God's opposition to his pride took shape in his life. When pride creeps in, all of a sudden the work gets hard. No longer a delight. Ministry becomes a heroic effort to rescue my plans and intentions. This forthright appraisal of his work gives us insight into the tangible ways God opposes pride. We are thankful for his honesty. God does oppose the proud, but more importantly, he gives grace to the humble. He gives help and blessing to those who walk in submission to him and his people. Francis Frangipane wrote, Humility builds a spiritual defense around your soul, prohibiting strife, competition, and many of life's irritations from stealing your peace. God opposes pride, but blesses humility. Are you enjoying the blessings of humility? Here are some questions to help you consider this truth. 1. Are my ministry frustrations simply routine struggles of everyday life? Or is God opposing my pride? 2. Is there pride in my life that needs to be surrendered to the Lord? 3. Is my life marked by submission to God and other believers? Prayer Starter Lord, I long for your grace to be evident in my life. Grant me the ability to surrender my sinful pride. Day 13. Satanic Whispers Get behind me. Mark 8.33 Perfectly reasonable thoughts are sometimes the whispers of Satan. In this story, Jesus had just revealed to his disciples the difficult path that lay ahead, a path of rejection, suffering, and death. Peter would have none of this negative talk. He saw Jesus' future very clearly. In his mind, Jesus would take over the rule of the country and throw off the Roman oppressors. This talk of suffering was completely unreasonable. He took Jesus aside and began to tell him how things were going to go. In Peter's opinion, this talk of suffering was not the will of God. Jesus needed to be corrected. Jesus responded to Peter with a stern rebuke of his own. It turned out, Peter's reasonable thinking was the very thought of Satan himself. As the gospel story unfolds, we see that Peter did not immediately give up these satanic perspectives. It wasn't until the witness of the empty tomb and his encounters with the resurrected Christ that he realized that Jesus indeed needed to suffer. It was a slow and painful process, but his rational thoughts and plans for Jesus needed to be surrendered in order for him to get in step with the plan of God. How often we are stressed because things are not working out the way we have reasoned them to go. We are prone to believe we clearly understand God's plans for us, our loved ones, and our ministries. Yet our reasonable ideas can sometimes be the very thoughts of men planted by Satan himself. In this story, the reasonable thoughts excluded the idea of suffering. How like us to want to follow Christ without any form of self-denial and suffering. If we believe that a trial-free life is God's will for us, then when the tests come, we are unduly stressed because God's will is not being fulfilled. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there are satanic doctrines entrenched in your belief system. He may open your eyes to perfectly reasonable beliefs that you have held dear and just assumed to be true. When these thoughts are revealed... Surrender them to Christ. This letting go may well be difficult, but will go a long way to help you say, It is well with my soul. 
Here's your prayer starter. Lord, open my eyes to the blindness human reasoning has imposed on my life. Day 14. No surprises. He knows the way that I take. Job 23, verse 10. There are days when what we believe in our head needs to inform what we believe in our heart. This is especially true when we encounter times of trial. Job was being tested as severely as any man has been tried. His children had been killed, his health was lost, and his wealth had been taken in a series of satanically inspired trials. Job's heart must have cried out that God had forsaken him and that God was unaware of the series of unfortunate events that had fallen on him. Job had many questions about the dealings of God, yet he informed his heart with the words, He knows the way I take. One key to finding peace during the tests of life is to inform our heart with what our head already knows. God knows the road we are walking. He knows the way we are taking. He knows the trials we are enduring. He is aware of all of our experiences, past, present, and future. Our situation has not moved beyond His knowledge or ability to shape the events of our lives for His purposes. He knows the way that I take, and when He has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job continues. What path are you walking today? Like Job, you may be walking the pathway of loss. It may be loss of family, friends, position, or security. It may be a path of physical suffering. It may be a path of an uncertain future. It may be the path of a grief-filled past. Perhaps your heart, like Job's, is full of questions and fears about the dealings of God. Perhaps today, your head needs to inform your heart with the truth, He knows the way that I take. Our hearts are not easily informed. They are convinced by the perspectives that our emotions bring. We must remind our hearts daily, hourly, and even minute by minute until the truths of God's sovereign wisdom and care are fully accepted by faith. The surrender of the heart's feelings to the truth of the word does not always come easily. Yet, as we surrender our emotions to the truth, our heart will gain a new measure of rest. Here's your prayer starter. Lord Jesus, Thank you that the way I am taking is not hidden from your sight. Day 15. Superman Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Zechariah 4, verse 6. There seems to be a natural human inclination to be a superman or superwoman. We love the idea of being able to fix problems or save the world with our wonderful superhuman strength. Yet life has a way of squashing these notions. We find out that we don't have supernatural powers to fix our world, our families, or even ourselves. Our best efforts often come short of what is needed. When it dawns on us that we don't have what it takes to make the difference we desire, we become stressed or discouraged. The good news is that God never intended for you to be Superman. He does, however, have a plan to enable you to make the difference he's calling you to make. His plan involves his spirit. Today's text was written to Zerubbabel, who faced a daunting task. He was called to rebuild the temple of the Lord at a time when the supplies were limited and the people disheartened. 
He would not have the personal resources for such a huge undertaking. Yet the Lord spoke to him in a vision and encouraged him by saying that this great work would be accomplished not by Zerubbabel's might, but by the working of the Holy Spirit. Zerubbabel could take off his Superman suit. It wouldn't be needed. It would not accomplish the work. God's Spirit would be the enabling force. Sometimes our souls become tired because we are attempting to be Superman when God intends us to rely on the strength of His Spirit. We find refreshment and renewal as we surrender our misconceptions about our own strength and strivings and place full reliance on the Spirit of God to accomplish what God is calling us to do. What is God's calling for you? Are you feeling that it will not be accomplished because you do not have what it takes? Take off the Superman suit. You are not Superman, but you are called to be a channel of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. His enabling will accomplish through you what you were called to do. Call on Him for moment-by-moment strength. Prayer Starter Thank you that your power is not limited by my resources. Day 16. Cataract Surgery For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 verse 12. We as humans tend to see our struggles only on an earthly level. We often view conflicts with those who oppose God's purposes in our lives as irritating human behavior. However, the Apostle Paul calls us to take a look beyond what is seen. He calls us to remove the blinding cataracts of an earthly perspective. He calls us to look beyond the human faces and see the unseen forces that oppose God's purposes in our lives. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul, the writer of this powerful truth, knew firsthand what people could do to him. To Timothy he wrote, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. He listed other people who had attacked or deserted him in his service of God. Yet Paul kept in mind the ultimate source of the attacks and remembered God's help. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. 2 Timothy 4 verse 18 Paul knew that people were only the front line in a spiritual battle for the truth of God that is revealed to us in Jesus. Attacks from other people are tough to take. They are especially disconcerting when those who oppose us come from within the family of God. We think they should know better and act better. After all, we are on the same team. Here too, it is helpful to have our earthbound eyesight cleared to the invisible battle. There is an enemy who opposes the purposes of God. He is the evil one, Satan. Do you face opposition from people who are standing against God's purposes in your life? Target your prayers against the real enemy and seek God for the accomplishment of his purposes. Surrender your earthly view for a biblically informed perspective. Then ask God to reveal if you are working for the wrong team in a situation of conflict. Just as others are prone to serve the evil one, we too are susceptible. Prayer Starter Lord, grant me the grace to see beyond what can be seen with my eyes. Chapter 3. Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, verse 5. We all live by faith. We exercise trust every day, most often without even being conscious that we are doing it. 
We sit down on a chair believing that it will hold us. We eat our breakfast, trusting that it will strengthen us for the day's duties. We send our children to school, confident they will be well cared for. Trust is a part of everyday life. Our spiritual lives are no different. Each day, hour, and even minute we have opportunities to trust. Most often, it's a choice between trusting what God says in His Word and trusting in the doubts placed in our minds by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We either trust God or our doubts. The great antidote to stress, fear, and anxiety is trust. When we learn to doubt our doubts and place our trust in what God says, we are filled with confidence that overcomes the lurking shadows in our heart. At times we hesitate to do what the writer of this proverb tells us. Trusting the Lord with all our heart is far from automatic. We more naturally trust in the things we can see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. Believing in the invisible God is less natural. Perhaps that's why Christianity is called a walk of faith. To walk by faith, we need reminders of why he is worthy of our trust. In the following section, we will discuss some reasons to doubt our doubts and believe what God says in his word. Day 17. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Mark 4, verse 40. Our Lord had completed a taxing day of ministry. He had ministered to the needs of the crowds, and his body cried out for rest. He slept in the boat as the disciples rowed to the other side of Galilee's sea. As they moved across the sea, a storm arose. It's important to note that the disciples were eagerly doing what Jesus had told them to do when the storm struck. Yet though they began well, their time on the sea ended in a sharp rebuke from the Savior. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What was at stake in the storm? What did the disciples have to lose? Obviously, they feared for their very lives. They feared for their well-being. How confusing this must have been. They were in complete step with the Lord. They were doing what they had been called to do, but now their lives were at risk. One of the reasons following Christ gets confusing is that there are times when we are sure of His leading, yet circumstances arise that endanger everything we believe we are called to do. Jesus is testing our faith. We are not told what Jesus expected the disciples to do. Were they to row harder or rebuke the storm? Scripture does not say. Yet one thing is clear. Jesus expected them not to be afraid. He expected them to trust. Yet the disciples did not trust. The disciples' faith needed to grow. So Jesus used a platform of terror to reveal new aspects of his glory and power. Their fear for the storm became a gateway to a new insight. Jesus has authority over the storm. What makes you afraid? What storms are placing you at risk? Learn to doubt your doubts about his care. Perhaps Jesus is taking you into the storm so that you can learn new aspects of his authority. He's inviting you not to be afraid. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, the threats in my life right now are... Thank you that you have all authority over what they can do to me. Day 18. The Sparrow's Secret. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew 10, verse 31. 
The possibility of hurtful things happening to us at the hands of other people can strike great fear in our hearts. Some people hurt us intentionally, others naively. Friends can wound. Those who are in Christian leadership are especially vulnerable to these kinds of attacks. The fact that they are in the public eye puts them under a scrutiny others do not have. Leaders' decisions are often difficult. They weigh opposite viewpoints and make judgments that will be unpopular. At times, they must make statements and take stands against trends in society and the church. In response, hurtful words and actions are used to strike at the leader. These can be a devastating experience, leaving the leader fearful about what people can do to him or her. It is here where the sparrow's secret can bring peace. In Matthew 10, verse 27 to 31, Jesus was talking to his disciples about persecution. He was encouraging them to be courageous and not to fear those who could hurt them. He illustrated the sovereign care of the Heavenly Father even in times when hate is perpetrated on us. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. He was illustrating that even the smallest events that fall upon our lives are Father-filtered. What happens to us has been divinely permitted. The world may seem out of control, but it is not. Even sparrows are under his watchful eye. This then calls us to trust. Trust that our lives are not out of control. Our circumstances are not merely the result of human doings. There is a control that will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, tested beyond what we can bear. So rest. Rest in the truth that your Heavenly Father's watchful eye is on you. Be assured that your persecution at the hands of hurtful people is not outside of the Father's permission. He is using it to build His purposes in the world and in your life. The Apostle Paul understood the sparrow's secret when he wrote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I am convinced that none of these things shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.35-39 There is a rest and confidence in the sparrow's secret. Have you been wounded by the sting of what others have said or done? Rest. It is not out of the Father's control. Here's your prayer starter. Thank you, Father, that as you see the sparrow, you value and see me even more. Day 19. God's Security System I lay down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. Psalm 3, verse 5. The terrors of the night torment many believers. Night terrors may be small anxieties which multiply in size and control our minds in the middle of the night. They may be from past wounds or mistakes. They may be from present pressures. Or they may spring from future potentials of trouble. Be they large or little, night terrors rob us of the rest God intends for us to enjoy. David had every reason for night terrors. His son Absalom was pursuing him. His very life was being threatened. His position of king usurped, his dignity smashed, his comfort removed. Add to this the sense of failure David must have felt as a father. His own son had turned against him. Yet David was not tormented by night terrors. Instead, he enjoyed a good night's rest. I lie down and sleep. I wake because the Lord sustains me. What was the secret he knew that we don't? 
Why could he sleep in his crisis when we toss and turn on our beds over the smallest disturbance? I believe the answer was in his security system. No, he did not have electronic alarms around his tent. He did not have razor wire surrounding his camp. He had a god. God was his security. His security was not in the opinion of others. His reputation had now been tarnished. His security was not in his armed forces. They had been decimated. His security was not in his position. It had been lost. His security was God. God sustained him. His times were in God's hands. His life was surrendered to God's care and keeping. His security was in God alone. What or who is your security system? Is it your reputation? It can be tarnished. Is it your position? It can be lost. Is it your material resources? They can be stolen. Find your security in the care and keeping of God and go to sleep. Rest knowing that he who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121 verse 4. Rest, breathe deep, snore, sleep in once in a while. Know that God is your security system. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, you are my security. My ultimate dependence is on you. Protect and provide for my heart. Bring me rest despite disturbing circumstances. Day 20. The Noisy Multitude Psalm 94 verse 19 In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Psalm 94 verse 19 These words remind us of two realities. The first is the noisy crowd of anxieties which often swarm the soul. Thoughts of what needs to be done crowd in with worries about what has been done. Add to this the false accusations of the evil one and the nasty opinion of others, and you get a noisy crowd within. This crowd is not easily silenced. It shuts its confused message into our inner ears, deafening us to the voice of God and disquieting our souls. As the crowd forced the hand of Pilate to crucify Christ with its relentless cries of crucify him, crucify him, so too our minds force away the peace of God with shouts of you must worry, you must worry. The anxiety crowd is a noisy bunch. How can this noisy crowd be silenced with the second reality? The comforts of God. How powerful are the comforts of God? They can turn a noisy riot into a place of delight. The noisy crowd of anxieties is powerless against the comforts God has in his arsenal of truth. Just look a minute at a few of the weapons in God's array of truth, as noted in this psalm. But the Lord has been my defense. Psalm 94 verse 22. The attacks of people may be vicious, but the Lord is our protector. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, tells us the attacks of people may be malicious, but they will not go unpunished. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? Verse 20. Verse 20 tells us the evildoing crowd may seem to win the day, but they will never have what is most precious to the human soul, intimacy with God. Not only do they not have it, but they cannot take it away. These are but a few weapons in God's arsenal of comforts. Take time to reflect on them, and you will find the noisy crowd being silenced in your delighted soul. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, shoot the arrows of truth from your word deep into my heart, so my soul will know your comfort. Day 21. The Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23 verse 1. 
A shepherd's work is to give complete care to the sheep. He is totally focused on the well-being of the sheep. He leads them to places of lush grazing, rest, and protects and provides a constant care. The sheep has nothing to worry about or fear. All that is needed is provided. When David talks of the Lord, he is referring to the existing God who has a covenant relationship with his people. He is the creator of heaven and earth, the sovereign who guides the events of this world and intervenes on his people's behalf. He is the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, who knows his sheep and laid down his life for them. It is this God whom David enjoys as his personal shepherd. Humans tend to see the Lord's care somewhat selectively. There are areas of our lives where we know and have experienced the Lord's love. We are confident that whenever we face that situation, we can count on Him. There are other issues and situations we face into which we are not so sure that His love reaches. For example, we may find it easy to trust God with our finances, but not with the care of our children. We may believe God is with us at Sunday worship, but absent when we meet the nail boys on the road. David paints a picture of the Lord's faithfulness to all areas of life. He sees the Lord's care as like that of a shepherd meeting every need that arises. In God, he has found his needs for provision, protection, refreshment, comfort, and security all provided for. Whether it is a need of everyday life or a need faced in the extremities of death, God supplies what is necessary. The Lord is so near and so active that David is at rest. All is provided. Do you see the Lord as a personal shepherd or as a distant deity? Do you see the Lord Jesus as near and caring or far away and detached from your daily life? Are you aware of his constant care or do you feel at times he is busy elsewhere? Do you rest in his commitment to you or do you feel that you must always earn his love? Affirm with David your absolute trust. A great sense of security will go with you today. Here's your prayer starter. Lord Jesus, be the shepherd over the yet untrusted areas of my life. Day 22. God Unlimited. I am. Exodus 3 verse 14. God-given dreams often lie dormant for so long that we come to believe they are dead. We become convinced that it is impossible for them to be realized. God's call to Moses at the burning bush reawakens Moses' passion to deliver his people from bondage. Moses' interest has been piqued. He has longed to deliver his people, but he sees impossibilities that stand in the way of his God dream being fulfilled. It is here that God submits his name as an answer to Moses' hesitation. Tell them, I am, has sent me to you. There's a beautiful opening of possibilities in the name I am. It is a name without limits. It means the existing one, the one who is not limited by time, space, or circumstances. God is unrestricted by what restricts us. The God who was calling Moses was not limited by the 40 years that had gone by since Moses had first attempted to lead his people to freedom. The God who called Moses was not limited by Moses' weaknesses or by the weaknesses of the people he was to lead. The existing one could provide and achieve all that he was calling Moses to do. He proved himself true to his name. He was not limited by the iron will of the Egyptian pharaoh. He was not limited by the Red Sea and pursuing Egyptian hordes. He was not limited by the absence of food and water in the desert. Moses learned that what limits us does not limit the I am. 
In the New Testament, we come to know the I Am as Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Are there restrictions standing in the way of your God dream? Are you dreaming of a ministry for His glory? Have you dreamed of His will to be done in a new way in your family? Has your dream been buried in the drifting of time? The I Am is not restricted by what holds you back. Listen for His call. It may be time to unearth the long-buried dream. Prayer Starter Lord, reveal where my thinking is limited, what you want me to do in and through me. Day 23 Sufficient Grace My grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 The scriptures teach us that there are two types of grace. The first grace is grace for salvation, where we are saved by the grace of God regardless of our works. The second type of grace is the strength God gives for moment-by-moment needs. It is this second grace that the Apostle Paul refers to in this verse. We don't know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. A wide variety of physical ailments have been suggested. What we do know is this messenger was from Satan. It was some torment or pain that served to humble Paul, keeping him dependent on God for moment-by-moment help. Paul found that God's help never ran out. It was there for whatever the moment demanded. Grace was always in full supply. We might do well to think of this second kind of grace as an unlimited bank account. Placed in our heavenly account are unlimited funds of strength and help. Our Lord stands ready to meet any amount of grace we require. No bill we have to pay will be greater than what is laid up for us in our account. Whatever the moment needs, resources are available. We can draw on our resources at any moment, day or night. It's waiting for us. It's very likely that God does not clearly tell us the nature of Paul's thorn so that we realize that his grace is not limited to certain specific cases. It is available to help with whatever thorn may be piercing our flesh. Limitless help for unlimited types of need. That's the grace of God. Missionary life provides a great variety of thorns in the flesh. Unpredictable drivers, untrustworthy water and electricity are just a few examples. Is there a thorn piercing your soul today? Some painful circumstance or trial that you wish could be removed? Even prayers for its removal go unanswered. Prayers like Paul. God wants you to discover the riches of his grace. Unlimited help for your need today. Here's your prayer starter. Thank you for my grace account. Remind me of it as I go through this day. Chapter 4. Choices. Every day is filled with them. From the cereal we have for breakfast to the clothes we wear to how we will treat the people we meet each day is filled with choices. Our choices determine our attitudes and actions and our thoughts. Choices, to a very large extent, determine the direction of our days. We can choose to give our best work and our love at home. We can choose to cultivate an attitude either of gratitude or of selfishness. We can see either the silver lining or the clouds. The choice is ours. Choice affects our walk of faith. We can choose to seek God and find His reward, Hebrews 11 verse 6, or we can choose to keep Him distant. We also can make choices that invites his peace into our lives. It is some of these choices to which we will turn our attention in the last eight days of this devotional book. Day 24 
Guidance guaranteed. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Psalm 48 verse 14. Everyone needs it. Everyone seeks it. At some time in their life, in our early years, we need guidance. In matters of schooling, choosing a mate, and direction of a career. In the middle years, we need guidance in parenting and financial decisions. In the later years, we need guidance for ending well and caring for ourselves in our old age. Finding good guidance is essential to a life well lived. The question is not if we need guidance, but where we find it. The psalmist tells us there is one who will guide us our whole lives. He is our God forever and ever. He will not leave us in the lurch. Guidance will be there until the day we transfer from this life to the next. What are some of the keys to finding God's guidance? First, we need to ask for it. Second, we must be willing to receive it. Someone wisely said that 90% of finding God's will is having a surrendered heart. A bowed will to the wisdom of God will never lack the Father's guidance. Third, we must soak our minds in the principles of God as revealed in His Word. There, a large part of His will is revealed. He guides us in His ways with His words and His Spirit. Fourth, we should allow the peace of God to direct us. We must not move forward until we have unclouded hearts before God. Fifth, we must be open to the advice of others. God's will was received to Moses through his father-in-law Jethro. Sometimes our human fallibility may hinder our hearing and understanding God's guidance. Yet even then, his promise to guide us will stand true. Above all, remember that you have the promise of God's guidance, and he will always keep his promises. Seek him. Wait on him. He will direct at the right moment. He will guide you, even to the end. Do you lack wisdom today? What areas of your life are in need of guidance? Bow your will to God and ask Him to guide you. He will do it, for He has promised. Here's your prayer starter. Thank you for your guidance. Please direct me today according to your wisdom. Day 25. Soul Nutrition My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 28. Many weary souls tread the streets of this earth. You can see them as they walk, stoop-shouldered, lethargic, discouraged, and frightened. To these experiences, the psalmist adds the soul wearied by sorrow. There are many reasons why hearts are sorrowful. Sometimes our hearts are sorrowful for our sin. We grieve sinful choices and actions that have violated our conscience and wounded others. Other times, our hearts experience sorrow over a loss of someone or something dear to us. We may have lost hope because a dream we held dear has been removed from possibility. We may have said goodbye to a close friend or co-worker who has moved to another part of the world. They leave a gap in our lives where they once were. We experience sorrow on many levels, and our sorrow saps us of strength. It is for this loss of vitality that the psalmist invokes God's strengthening. He says to God, strengthen me as you have promised. He implies, as your word says, renew my soul. He cries, renew my vigor that was lost in the process of grief. The psalmist knows where to go to refresh his soul. Wearied by the dragging griefs of life, 
He goes to God. He claims God's promises and waits for the Lord to stand by what he has said. He knows the Lord is his source of renewal. What griefs are dragging your soul toward a state of weariness? Make the choice to meditate on the words of Scripture. Discipline yourself to read the Word of God. Memorize it. Let it soak your mind and heart. Remember the promises of God for renewal and strengthening. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Isaiah 40 verse 31. This promise stands for those who are weary from grieving. Are you among them? Here's your prayer starter. Lord, I am grieved by many things. My loss is both recent and distant. My sin, both intentional and unintended, have weighed my soul with weariness. Lift me up by your grace. I wait on you. Day 26. From fear to folly. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Isaiah 8, verses 12 to 13. Intimidating people can easily steal the place in our hearts that is to be reserved for God alone. God reserves the right to have the final say over our lives. It is the only position of power fitting for who he is. Giving him this place in our heart is the clearest expression of his lordship. God is not given his full place when we keep him as a mere advisor. He is not to be usurped by pretenders to the throne of our life who would claim our total allegiance. Some of these pretenders are those who could inflict on us much hurt. In these verses, God calls Isaiah to resist the tendency to fear the brutal Assyrians. He is teaching Isaiah to keep people in their rightful place, no matter how intimidating they are. Isaiah's countrymen have not kept this perspective and sinned as a result. They place their trust in the foreign armies, mediums, and spiritists, rather than in the protection of God. It is here where fear becomes folly. Fear can take the place of God in our hearts. It can easily claim our full allegiance. It can control our thoughts, actions, and attitudes. It can keep us from carrying out God-given purposes and assignments. When we are living in threatening circumstances with fear, we need to guard against this theft of the God place. When we are living in threatening circumstances with fear-inspiring people, yet it happens so easy. It happens because we know the harm others can do to us. Israel knew very well the brutality of the Assyrians. Their reputation was one of vicious violence. So too, we know the impact fearsome people have. We can see tangible harm in the lives of other people they have brutalized. We see that it may happen to us, and so we begin to be afraid. Here God's rightful place can easily be stolen. Fear can become all-consuming and controlling. Here we must choose who will control us. Let us keep the God place for Him alone. The Apostle Peter reminded us of this truth when he wrote, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but set apart Christ as Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Peter is teaching us to make sure we do not allow fear to rule us. We are to keep the throne of our heart for Christ alone. Here's your prayer starter, Lord. Help me guard the control center of my heart. Enable me to keep it for you alone.
Day 27. Repentance and Rest In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Isaiah 30 verse 15 The brutal forces of Assyria were threatening to flood the land of Israel. The Assyrian armies were an instrument of correction in the Lord's hands. Yet the Lord had a way out. A way to stop the impending disaster and bondage that was now to come. It was the way of repentance and rest. The way to peace and security for Israel was to turn away from the sinful practices they had been embracing and trust God for His protection. Yet Israel chose to run somewhere else for help. They chose to trust in the Egyptians to protect them. The Lord made it clear that this choice would not save them. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. The wisdom of man would be ineffective against the working of God. God is attracted to repentant and believing hearts. Remember that Jesus came to his people after John the Baptist had called them to repentance. Repentance and rest bring us to God and him to us. The scriptures say the Lord exalts the humble, is near to the brokenhearted, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He also stands with those who live by faith and trust in him. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. In Hebrews 11 verse 6. Repentance and rest are two sides of the same coin. A coin which holds for us a great promise. In repentance we turn away from other gods and objects of trust. In rest we turn to the true God and his faithfulness. The two go together. The promise God gives to those who choose a little repentance and rest is his help. For the Israelites, it was salvation from the advancing hordes of the Assyrian army. For the Christian, it is freedom from the onslaughts of advancing sin and evil forces. God draws near to repentant, resting hearts. Unfortunately, the people of Israel would not accept God's offer. They chose to trust the forces of Egypt rather than the precepts of God. Their choice led them to suffer unimagined brutality. When we refuse to repent and rest... We too leave ourselves open to the brutalizing forces of sin and Satan. God is waiting to draw near. It is time for some R&R. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, reveal the Egypts I am running to. Day 28. Mind Food My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. Psalm 42 verse 6. Even in our dark hours... God has given us the ability to choose. The psalmist was enduring a time of isolation from God and the places he loved. He was far from Jerusalem and the tabernacle, which was God's dwelling place. He was in the north of Israel at Mount Hermon, which was as far north in Israel as you could go. He was longing for God. Where can I go to meet with God? He asked. He was oppressed by people. Men say to me all day long, where is your God? He endured the questions of the unbelieving, yet he couldn't really answer their accusations, for God at this point did not seem active in his interests. The psalmist was isolated from his people. He had once led the joyful procession of worshippers, but now he was alone. The experience of isolation brings deep grief to one's heart. The writer was isolated from God, from the teachings he loved, from the favor of his people, and from his home. He became very discouraged. Yet in his time of a downcast heart, 
he realized that his discouragement had not eliminated his power to set the agenda for his thoughts. He chose to remember the Lord in his time of discouragement and isolation. Is there a sense of discouragement clouding your soul? Remember you have not lost your ability to choose what dominates your thinking. You are the gatekeeper of your mind. Remember the Lord from your place of isolation and hope in Him. 1. What factors in your life are causing you a sense of discouragement? 2. How has this affected your mindset about life? 3. What is one aspect of God that can give you a sense of comfort? Here's your prayer starter. Lord, help me apply the medicine of memory to my downcast heart. Day 29. Chariots of God. Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. 2 Kings 2.11 God has the ability to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. The exciting and dynamic ministry of Elijah had come to an end. His service on earth was complete, and it was time for God to take him to heaven. To accomplish this transaction, God sent a chariot of fire to take Elijah to the place God wanted him to be. As God moved Elijah, so too God has places he wants each of us to go. He wants us to move to places of Christ-like character and service. He uses a variety of chariots to take us there. We may not recognize these chariots at first because when we see them, they look just like fire. They appear to threaten and harm us. Sometimes these fires come from other people and their intentional or unintentional sins against us. Their words of attack or violent acts would wound deeply and cause us pain. Joseph experienced this at the hands of his brothers. Sometimes these fires have a satanic origin. The evil one is out to destroy our faith and joy, so he sends fires of trial to scorch our soul and burn our confidence in God. Job experienced satanic fires, as did the Apostle Paul with his thorn in the flesh. Sometimes the fiery tests are sent from God himself. Remember that Jesus sent his disciples into the storm in Matthew 14. When we find ourselves being scorched by fires of life, we have a choice to make. We can become bitter and resentful, or we can invite God to turn these trials into chariots of fire that will take us where he wants us to go. Joseph entrusted his brother's violence to God and became a ruler in Egypt. Job learned new revelations about God, and Paul was taken to a new experience of grace through the satanic assaults he suffered. The disciples were moved to worship through the trial of the wind. God has places he wants to take you in terms of your character and service. He uses chariots of fire to take you there. Make the choice of faith and entrust your fiery experiences into his care. He will take you where he wants you to go. Here's your prayer starter. Dear God, thank you for your wise purposes. Give me strength to trust as I ride in your chariots of fire. Day 30. Faith and Feelings When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm 56, verse 3. It is easy to let our emotions inform our faith. It is most natural to have our fears and concerns instruct what we believe and carry the day in how we view our situation. David was a man who experienced the full range of emotions. In this psalm, his emotional expression included tears and lamentation. 
David was real and honest about his emotional state. He valued his emotions and shared them openly with God. Yet as much as he honored his emotions, he realized that they needed to be controlled by a greater reality. That reality was the nature and character of God. As great as his reason to fear, David had a great reason to trust. David informed his emotions by his faith in trust in God rather than his emotions informing his faith. David had a greater reason to trust. David informed his emotions by his faith in God rather than his emotions informing his faith. He understood that the powerful feelings he experienced must not set the agenda for his heart. Jesus taught this principle to his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest. He had been telling the disciples frightening news that he was going away. He realized that the disciples' emotions could lead them to the pitfall of unbelief. He said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. John 14, 1. Jesus knew fears were fighting to take control of his disciples' hearts. He knew the remedy was trust in God. So he encouraged them to choose trust rather than fear. Is there an area of your life where your emotions are directing your faith? Is there a place of fear in your heart that is causing you to doubt the truth about God as revealed in his word? Make the choice to have your trust in God carry the day. Invite your emotions to follow rather than lead. Prayer Starter Lord, thank you for giving me the power of choice. I choose to trust you in the areas that I am afraid. Day 31. The Best Habit Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. 1 Chronicles 16.11 Sometimes one sentence of advice can steer our life in wonderful directions. David's words at the celebration of the Ark's arrival in Jerusalem stand for all time in the category of great advice. This wisdom, if followed, will serve to lead your heart to a place of strength rest, and refreshment. Look to the Lord and His strength. David was encouraging his hearers to make a choice, a choice about where to look and find strength. We look many places to find strength. We look inside ourselves. We look to other people. We look to money. We look to tradition to clothe ourselves with the power to live daily life. Unfortunately, sooner or later these sources of strength end up insufficient. David reminds us that where we look for strength is a choice, and that there is a better choice than we are naturally inclined to make. The Lord, creator of heaven and earth, has unlimited strength available for those who look to him. His vast reservoirs of strength are never drained empty. Seek his face always, David said. David had learned that there was a great reward in seeking the face of the Lord. David knew that the Lord was good and that his love endures forever. Psalm 100 verse 5. The writer of Hebrews echoed this by saying, He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. The Apostle Paul enjoyed the strengthening of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4 
verses 13, to Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. With this in mind, David encouraged his people, and through his words, encourages us also to develop the habit of seeking the Lord always. Not only are we to seek God's strength, but we are to seek his face. We are to seek to know him, encounter him, and know him intimately as the Lord of the universe and Lord of our lives. It is him that the riches of his power are released in our life. At the end of this devotional book, ask God for his grace. Ask him to give you a heart that will seek him always. Here's your prayer starter. Lord, grant me the grace to establish the habit of seeking you.